Well, good morning to you, church family. It's certainly a pleasure to see you and to uh, worship with you this beautiful Lord's Day morning. Uh, we're thankful for the weather. I know you are as well, and for this great environment that we have here where we can uh, worship our Father. Hope that you'll be back tonight for Trunk or Treat if you're planning on taking part in that, even if it's just to take candy from, from babies. You know, this is the one time of the year we allow you to do that. So please come and uh, enjoy the festivities and the chili and all the other things that we have uh, going on. It'll be a great time. Um, we are, it's Halloween, believe it or not, we're near the end of the year. It's just a couple of months left and then we're done. So 2020, what is this one? 21 is almost finished and then we'll start a whole new year, Lord willing, uh, next year. It's usually the way that works. But it's hard for me to think that we're almost finished with this year. It, it's gone re- very quickly, as chaotic as it's been at times and things seem like they're going one way and then suddenly there's a sharp left turn that completely changes things. It feels like it's moved uh, pretty steadily through. And as you know, all year long, Alex and I have been covering this series. We've just kind of sprinkled throughout the year, introducing you all uh, and all of us to the apostles. And the way in which it ties in with our annual theme for the year, which is love your neighbor, is basically this. Uh, our neighbors may have questions for us. Our neighbors may have um, you know, a Bible issue they want to bring up to us, and then we will hopefully be able to provide them with a Bible answer. And then they may invariably ask us, well, who says? Why why is that what you do? And why is that what you believe? And we're going to tell them because here's the book chapter verse for it. And we, we don't come up with it ourselves. We don't teach our own doctrine. We don't just do whatever we want. We follow an apostolic pattern. We follow a, a template laid down for us by the authoritative, inspired, ambassadors of Jesus Christ, those people that he selected to rule over his kingdom, people who still, these men, still rule over his kingdom today because we still read and study the word that they inspired or they were inspired to write uh, and record and they themselves went about and preached and taught and used as the template for and the foundation of the, the, uh, the kingdom of Jesus Christ on earth. And so the simple answer is we teach what we teach, we believe what we believe, because that's what the apostles told us to teach and believe. And so the question may then come, well, who are these apostles? I mean, they'll know a few of them. They're going to know Peter. They're probably going to know Paul. There's a handful of them, John, they'll know. But who are all of these men who were given this degree of authority? And so we thought, let's take this opportunity this year and let's just study the apostles. There are 14 of them, even though as we've gone through this series, we, we have read a lot of verses about them, and one of the common kind of shorthand ways to describe them is the twelve. That is a common biblical term to describe them, even though there are more than twelve of them. But there were originally a core group of disciples. There were originally twelve whom Jesus selected to be those ambassadors on his behalf and to teach and preach in his name. Many of them we're very familiar with. A few of them we know a little less of. But we know Peter, a little bit less we know Andrew, we know James and John, we know Philip and Thomas, maybe one more than the other or so, and we know Matthew, perhaps this this account of his being chosen, same with Bartholomew or Nathaniel, we know the account of his being chosen, Uh, James and Simon and Thaddeus, we know that their names are James, Simon and Thaddeus, and we know their apostles, and that's pretty much the end of the line for them, and we know Judas, the infamous one. And basically, if you look at that list of 12, about half of them, about half of that list are names that we are very familiar with and half that we're not so familiar with. I don't know if you have picked up on this as we've gone through this series, but Alex and I divided it up where 
he, Alex, had the more well-known apostles. And that's its own unique challenge. He had to preach to you a sermon about Peter and bring out things you hadn't already considered. Or he had to preach to you about James and John earlier this year and mention things about those so-called sons of thunder that maybe you hadn't considered before. On the other side of the coin, I wanted to have the apostles that we don't really know a lot about, that we don't really consider. He had Peter. I had Andrew. He had James and John. I had Matthew and Bartholomew. We split Philip and Thomas. And even then, he had the easier one. He had Thomas, the one we know more about and can get more about. So I took it as a personal challenge to cover all of these ones. Well, now we have two left to go. And next month, Alex is going to close out the series by talking about the 14th and final man to call himself, by God's authority, the Apostle of Jesus Christ. So be here next month. I think it's the last Sunday of the month. Um, Alex will talk to you about the Apostle Paul, a man about whom we know a lot because he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And, of course, we have great biographical details provided in the book of Acts. But there is that other apostle of the two that came after, we'll call them, that we know a little bit less about. And so I wanted to take a few minutes with you this morning, not a very long sermon, a simple sermon really, and talk to you about the Apostle Matthias. What do we know about Matthias? This is a picture of Matthias as about a 20-year-old or so, right after he got married, but before he had glasses, but it felt right to put them on his face. Anyway, what do we know about Matthias? What can we say about Matthias? Well, as is the case with many of the lesser-known ones, like Matthew or Bartholomew, we have a detailed account of his becoming an apostle, and that's basically it. In fact, that is it. But that's enough from which to derive some lessons to learn and things of that nature. So let's consider, the text was kind of partially read for us. I only selected a little bit for the screen. But let's open our Bibles back to Acts chapter 1. If you've already closed yours, go back there. And apart from just one other verse, we're going to be entirely in Acts chapter 1. And I want to read this text. It's Acts 1, verses 15 through the end of the chapter, which is verse 26. This is going to be our text from which we'll get all of our points this morning. Because this is the text from which we learn anything we have to learn biblically about Matthias. So let's just go over it very quickly and then make some points and then we'll call it a day. Acts chapter 1, read with me please in verse number 15 to start with. And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, and there were about 120 of them gathered there. Verse 16, Peter says, quote, Men and brethren, the scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit by the mouth of David spoke before concerning Judas which was a guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man, Judas, purchased a field with the reward of his iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known to all the dwellers of Jerusalem, and so much as that field is now called in the proper tongue, Alkeldama, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of the Psalms, quote, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, end quote, another quote, and... His bishopric let another take, end quote. 21, Peter speaks. Wherefore of these men, which have accompanied with us all the time that Jesus went out and in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, that's the end of the quote, now Luke writes, they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and they said, You, Lord, who knows the hearts of all men, show which of these two you have chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. Which, it's the King James, very, very minor way of phrasing. He may go to the place where he belongs. It's much more blunt. 26. 
And they cast their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So as I say, this is our text. We're going to go a little bit into the beginning of Acts 2 at one point, and one verse in Matthew, and that's it. But from this text, we have the background, we have the choosing, we have the purpose, we have everything we need to know about why this happens in the first place. Why we need to understand the context and the circumstances of Matthias being choosing. It may not seem like an important subject to consider. It's in the Bible, so in that sense, of course, it's important. But it may not seem like a thing which we need to know about. But you'd be surprised how many bad ideas have come from a misreading of this text. And there are also from this text some good things we need to take from it. And then at the end, some lessons to learn. And that's basically the three points I'm going to give you this morning. So let's just summarize the whole text by what we just read by looking at it in this one phrase. Matthias was selected. And Before we go into our points, let's just hammer home that idea. Matthias was selected, but that doesn't mean anything less than it meant when you say Peter was selected. Or James and John were selected. Or uh, Philip and Bartholomew were selected. Or anyone else. The circumstances of Matthias' selection as an apostle are unique and distinct from the other twelve. But you know what? The circumstances of Peter, Andrew, James, and John, the fishermen being chosen, are unique from the circumstances of Matthew, a tax collector being chosen. Peter, Andrew, James, and John were just chilling on the shore when Jesus selected them. But Matthew was in the middle of his work when Jesus chose him. Bartholomew was just resting under a tree. He wasn't doing anything that day when Jesus chose him. The circumstances are always different. The uniter, the common, uh, commonality in all of them, is that God chooses who will be the apostles to oversee His spiritual kingdom. God through Jesus, or God through, in this case, a proverbial rolling of the dice. Which seems bizarre until you think, well, God can do it. He's, he's God. He can do it however He wants. And so, let's just, let's just start there with that idea that He was selected. But that doesn't mean Peter wasn't. They were all selected. It's just we can learn some lessons from the selection of Matthias. Some things we shouldn't learn, some things we should, and then some final application. And then we'll be done. That's the sermon. Very short, very simple. Let's dig into it very quickly. What does it not mean when Matthias was selected? What do we not want to take away from that? There are three quick things to consider. First of all, don't take away this lesson. Don't take away from the selection of Matthias and the circumstances of it that uh, apostles are continuing to be selected today. Don't take from that to mean, well, here's a case where Judas died and he was replaced. So I guess that means when every apostle dies, every apostle is replaced. Because if that were true, you would have, to this day, a bunch of apostles running around. Now, we'll get there, because there are people who will call themselves that, but they ain't these guys. But this idea that apostles are still being chosen and that Judas is the Bible proof text, or Judas to Matthias is the Bible proof text for that, is a commonly held position in the Roman Catholic Church. The very fact that the Roman Catholic Church has a pope who carries on the same authority of the previous pope, right now it's Pope Francis, who replaced Pope Benedict, I think he was the 16th, who replaced, I think it was John Paul II, who replaced, I think it was John. They have this one pope, and when he dies, he's replaced by another pope. And when he dies, or in a very bizarre, unique case, resigns, and he's replaced. There's always this lineage that follows, and this guy replaces the other one, and all the authority of the papacy to rule over the Roman Catholic Church is placed on that man's shoulders that was not there before because it was on another guy's shoulders. Well, what gives him the right to take over this position? And they'll say, well, the, the Pope is a modern-day apostle. And there's a Bible precedent, they'll say, from Acts chapter 1 and the replacing of the apostle 
uh, Judas with the apostle to be Matthias. And so that precedent is therefore established, and so people are still being selected. Apostles are still being replaced to this very day. Now, I'm not asking you to speak out. I'm just talking. But does anybody see the problem there? Because how many popes are there in power right now? There's just the one. There's not 11 other guys who are calling themselves, or 13 other guys who are calling themselves pope. And so if you want to say that this pope, this apostle dies and is replaced by this other guy, and that's the precedent, well, there were 12 of them, not one. Now, what you'll hear is, but Peter was the one. Peter was the first one chosen. But let's look at the text and let's notice what's going on here. Look again in Acts 1.16. What does uh, Peter say? Men and brethren, the scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit by the mouth of David spoke concerning Judas, who was the guide to them that took Jesus. I know the Roman, and you do too, the Roman Catholic Church's position is that Peter, they'll say, was the first pope. And so when Peter died, Peter was replaced by some other guy who died and was replaced and died and was replaced, blah, 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 blah. Until you get to Benedict was replaced by Francis, who will eventually die and be replaced by some other guy, we assume. And so they trace it all the way back this lineage to Peter. But it wasn't Peter who died. It was Judas. So what are you doing using this account, which Judas is singled out, to justify replacing apostles? That, there's no Bible precedent for it. So don't take the wrong lesson from this to mean apostles are still being replaced, even to this present day. Along the same line, don't take this to mean that there is some kind of a lineage of apostles. You can work, it's much easier to work history backwards than it is forwards, because we can't tell the future, but we can read the past. And you can tell the, the past of the papacy by going back through history. Francis to Benedict to John Paul to John, and on down you go, or on up you go, up the line. And you can keep following the lineage in history all the way until about 600 when you get to a fellow named Boniface. And then it gets really sketchy because all you've got are just much late-dated references and writings of so-called Catholic historians who try to ascribe names to people who existed in the space between Peter, whom they call the first pope, and Boniface, who first ruled over the Roman Catholic Church in 606. From Peter in, in 33 to 606, there's just a bunch of names without any real uh, histories or faces applied to them. Just a bunch of names that Catholic historians have put on them to say, here is the lineage that traces you from Peter to, now today, Francis. But there is no lineage of the apostles. When Judas died, and we'll get here how it's a special case, when Judas died, Judas was replaced by Matthias. Judas was not the only apostle to die. The circumstances of his death are unique. But guess who else died? <clears throat> All of them. By the time you get to Revelation, there is only one apostle left living. That is the apostle John. Peter is long dead. Andrew is long dead. James, James almost said and John. James is long dead. They're all long dead except for John. Where are the other apostles to replace those guys? Where's the apostle who replaced Peter if there was such a one? There wasn't because it hadn't been invented yet. There is no lineage of the apostles. Notice again some, a verse about the circumstances. Look at verse 24 of the reading we just had. They prayed and said, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. Show us which of the two you have chosen. Here is a special circumstance, and we're boiling down the selection of them to just two men. Not to a criteria that will establish a lineage, but just two men, one of whom will fill this particular unique vacancy. Don't take the wrong lesson from this to mean there is a lineage of apostles that keeps being added onto over the years. No. Last one on this point. Don't take the wrong lesson to mean 
as a result of the previous two misunderstandings that therefore are still people who are apostles today. If you turn on, you can't do it because you don't have a television right now. But if you're watching at home, don't change the channel. But you could turn on your television right now and there is some guy right now on some network that has preaching and I guarantee somewhere on all those many channels that do that, somebody is wearing the title apostle. It is a common title to wear because doctor is not enough anymore. We can't call ourselves, ma- we have master's degrees, but we can't call ourselves masters. We tried, they won't let us. You, you, the, the doctor, doctor such and such is no longer important anymore. Now it's just, he's apostle M.W. Bradford, or it's apostle J.T. Smithinson. It's always apostle, and there's always initials, I don't know why. It's apostle something, something, something. And they wear this title apostle as though it gives them authority. Well, yeah, if they were, it would. But they don't have the authority of a capital A apostle. Now let's understand the word apostle just means guy who goes out with a message. It's, it's so similar to the, to the meaning of the word angel. So anybody could be an angel in that limited sense. Anybody could be an apostle in that limited sense. But the capital A apostles, those specifically chosen ambassadors of Jesus Christ, they were an office that were filled with occupants. Not just anybody willy-nilly who wants to wear the title. Again, look at the text that we already read. Read with me again 21 through 23. Wherefore of these men of 120, Peter says, have journeyed with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day that Jesus was taken up from us and ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two out of 120 who met that limited criteria, Joseph, Barsabbas, Justice, and Matthias. Joseph, Justice, uh, Barsabbas, we'll call him, and Matthias. Out of 120 people, Peter says, we've got to select somebody that the Lord will choose to fill the vacancy of Judas. And the criteria chosen is somebody who has been a disciple of Jesus for years, who was a witness of his resurrection. And that criteria, by the way, being a witness of the resurrection, still applied when Paul was on the road to Damascus. Even though he was a persecutor and not a follower, he was around during that time, knew that Jesus was alive, knew that Jesus had died, and knew that Jesus had risen. That's the criteria. It's not just someone who heard about it. It's someone who witnessed the ministry, someone who witnessed and knew, by firsthand account, that he rose. Now find me a so-called apostle today who can say I was there 2,000 years ago. Unless they have a long white beard that goes down to here and more wrinkles you can count, I don't believe them. Find me somebody who can say I was there and I was a witness to his resurrection. These guys could say that. They met the criteria. Thus they were allowed to be selected, one of the two, to be an apostle. So no, you call yourself an apostle, you can call yourself Santa Claus for all I care. That doesn't make it so. There's only one Santa Claus. There's only one, 12, 13, 14 apostles. So let's set aside now what we don't want to take away from this. What lessons should we learn from this? What order some things we are supposed to take away from this? First of all, let's understand from this that Judas' death has ramifications. That we would not be having this whole thing happen had the circumstances of Judas' death been he was just an old guy who died faithful to Jesus. That's not the circumstances. Judas betrayed the Lord, vacated his office of apostle, and so that office needed to be replaced by someone faithful. Look again at the text, starting in verse 16. Peter says, Men and brethren, the scripture must have been fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit by the mouth of David spoke before concerning Judas, the guide to them that took Jesus, the traitor who helped them arrest him. He was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. He was someone who was already part of this group, 
a part of this ministry of service that we provided for the Lord. And this man purchased a field with the reward of his iniquity, fell headlong and burst and died, his bowels gushed out. 19. And it was known to all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as the field is now called Alkeldama, the field of blood. In other words, the sacrifice, sacrifice the death of Judas uh, and the place wherein he died by double meaning is a field of blood because he was purchased with the money he won for lack of a better phrase, for murdering Jesus, but also his own death um, helped purchase it, and so forth. 20, for it is written in the book of the Psalms, and this is actually a combined reference. It's read like it's one text, but it's Psalm 69 a little bit here, and Psalm 109 a little bit here. Verse 20, let his habitation be desolate, and let it no man dwell therein. And the other reference, his bishopric, let another take. Your Bible might have a different word there. Bishopric means his office of authority. Here's a person who occupied an office of authority. He's not just some guy who decided to become a preacher, got a big ego, and decided to call himself an apostle, and everybody on TV just went along with it. No, he was somebody who was selected by Jesus to fill a role, and now that office has been vacated and must be, what's the opposite of vacated? It must be reinserted, whatever the word may be. He must, he must fill that occupancy. He must fill that role. It's not this perpetual growth thing where people keep adding appendages onto it. It's a, it's a small little circle of 12 that one has left and one must be added onto. And again, even the circumstances of Paul, who we'll learn about next month, is a completely different thing because he specifically called this apostle chosen for a different purpose from the others, chosen by the same Lord who chose the others, in this case, to be the preacher to the Gentiles. So the same idea, this closed circle group of people is still there, one of which is now left and must be replaced. The circumstances of Judas mean Judas must be replaced. His death has these ramifications beyond just becoming infamous as a person, but now an apostle must fill his shoes. The second lesson to learn is that the words of Jesus matter. Go back with me in Matthew and notice something that Jesus says about the apostleship of these men he's chosen. Matthew 19, verse 27. Matthew 19, verse 27. Listen to start with to what Peter says. 1927, Then answered Peter and said to Jesus, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed you. What shall we have therefore? In hindsight, big words for someone who's about to deny him three times. But in the moment, he's with him. We've forsaken all and followed you, so what are we going to get out of it? Verse 28. Verily I say to you, Jesus says, that you which have followed me in the regeneration, the King James says, in the new beginning, in the new era, regeneration, new, made new, in this new era of the Messiah, the era of Jesus' kingdom that he's about to establish with his death and resurrection, that you in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you also shall sit over twelve thrones and judge the twelve tribes of Israel." You men have a particular role to play. I, Jesus says, will be king over the kingdom and you will be the judges exercising my authority just like a king would have subordinates, governors, for example, who would carry out his will in the various provinces of his kingdom. Well, Jesus has a, king, a kinghood, a kingship. He has a throne on which he sits, but he has lesser thrones of authority for these 12 men. That's why he chose them. It's why they're different from the 70 that he sent out. It's why he's different from the 120 who were gathered in Acts chapter 1 on the day of Pentecost. It's different from all of them. These 12 are unique, one of whom has abandoned it and is going to be replaced. And what Jesus is saying is he needs to be replaced because it's a position of authority to occupy. 
Now go back to Acts chapter 1 and look at 25. About this one who will replace Judas, Peter says that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas failed to go to where he belongs. He is not just joining a social club. He's not just wearing a title for no reason. He is adding himself to an office that has power. And if you don't believe the office has power, and I would say this to all of those so-called fake apostles who wear the title, that I will say to their face, you're not an apostle. Now, if that were true that they really were an apostle, then I am now questioning their authority. I am now challenging their authority, which according to them, by virtue of their wearing the title, was given to them by Jesus Christ. And if I'm challenging it, read Acts chapter 5. And tell me what happens to Ananias and Sapphira when the authority of an apostle is challenged. They just lied to an apostle. They didn't even, they didn't even challenge Peter's direct authority directly, just kind of implicitly, by lying, by undermining him that way. And they were struck dead. They were struck dead, one after the other. Peter struck a guy blind just for annoying him. So if I go up to the so-called apostle and I say, but you're not really an apostle, what are they going to do? Get angry? Laugh at me? Fine. But they can't strike me blind. They can't kill me with, you know, a miracle. No, they have no power and authority. That was given to these men. And the lesson to take away from this is Jesus gave them that authority. And the words of Jesus matter. Thus, Judas must be replaced for someone to sit on that throne that once was occupied by him. Last one on this point about Matthias. He had all of the authority and qualities that Peter had, that Andrew had, that James had, and so forth. Look at verse 26. The lots fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven. It wasn't the eleven and the guy who came after. It was he was with the 11, thus 11 plus 1 makes 12. It was just now 12 all over again. And to see that, how he just instantly is integrated, go to the very next page if it's that way in your Bible, but just look at the very next chapter. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they, the 12, were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there fell from heaven a sound like a rushing mighty wind, and it fell upon this power of God on each of them. The power of God came like a, 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 looked like fire with cloven tongues that set upon each of their heads. And they began to speak with, the, uh, with uh, the other tongues, speak with the power of the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So if you just read the beginning of Acts chapter 2, the launching point into the first gospel sermon, it was all of them having this power, these 12, not just 11 and Matthias, sorry, you were late, you missed that memo. No, he's already an apostle instantly carrying on the ministry that Judas chose to vacate. So we've got what it doesn't mean. Don't take these lessons from it. We've got what it does mean. Learn these lessons. Now let's make some application, and then we'll be done. Three quick points, and then we can stop. Look at verse 25 again. These are going to take part in the ministry and the apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell and went to his own place. Someone is going to take the place of Judas three years after we've already been wearing this title, Three years after we've already been as close to Jesus as anyone to this point has, now someone is going to come into this small circle of people. He's late, but he's one of them, based on the text we just read. He is automatically integrated. So here's your application. God can still use you, even if you're late. You may be someone who is 55, 60, 65 plus years old, 
And maybe you have only just become a Christian, or maybe you have never at all become a Christian, and you think it's too late for you. It is not too late for you, not just for your salvation, but for your service in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. God can still use you, even though someone right next to you may have been a Christian for 30 years, and he may only be 45. God can still use you, even if you're late. Because better late than never. He would rather you finally come to your senses and be usable in his service than never come to your senses and die separated from him forever. So God can still use you even if you're late. Second lesson, God can still use you even if you're unknown. I know Peter. I know Andrew. I know James and John. Even James and Simon and Thaddeus, those three about whom we know nothing, you know what? Peter knew James, Simon and Thaddeus. Andrew knew Simon and Thaddeus. They knew each other very well because for three years they were a little fraternity that always stuck together. And one of their number is gone, replaced by this other guy who was just kind of around a little bit. And yet, Jesus immediately integrates him into the group and he immediately starts working on his behalf. Here's your application. You may have been a Christian for 60 years. You may be sitting in the pew right now a 75-year-old Christian who has spent the past 60 years not being faithful, who's never done anything in service to Jesus. You, you were put under the water, you come up out of the water, and nothing changed about your life. You've just been living the way you always wanted to live. And now, toward the end of your life, you're starting to reevaluate, you're starting to realize, I have wasted all this time that I could have been serving Jesus with. I've wasted all this life that I could have been giving to God. Is it too late? No, it's not too late. Now you can make yourself known. But nobody knows who I am. My time has passed. No one's listening to me. God can still use you. Even if we have no idea who you are, yet we can know who you are if you will make yourself known and say, I want to plug in. I want to be active. I want to be used. It doesn't matter if you're 15, 51, or 75, or any other age you can imagine. God can still use you, even if right now none of us have any idea who you are. Just be faithful, plug in, and serve. Last point, God can still use you even if you're the other guy. Who became the apostle? Matthias. Who is Barsabbas? I don't know. I know, I know his name. I know his daddy's name. Barsabbas, son of Sabbas, or whatever that would be. That's, that's all I know about him. He wasn't an apostle. But you know, I, this is just me giving the benefit of the doubt. He was just as qualified as Matthias. Of 120 people, there were two that met the criteria. He could have been chosen. He was one roll of the dice away by the providence of God from being an apostle himself. It's not like Jesus and Barna, uh, and um, uh, uh, shoot, what's his name? The guy who was, who was the notorious criminal, Bar, Barabbas, thank you. Ralph, goodness gracious, the brain just leaves me. Barabbas. It's not like Jesus and Barabbas, this obvious distinction. No, it's Matthias and Justice called, called Barsabbas. The names are so similar, it threw me off. Barsabbas. That they, either one of them could have been an apostle, but one was chosen. Someone had to go away from that, not being an apostle. And so, you know he told all his grandkids, it could have, it was almost me. He's, he's right here at Acts 1. That's, my, that's me. I was almost the guy. I'm not saying he was bitter about it. I'm just saying, you know he had a story to tell his grandkids. But I choose to believe that he lived the entire rest of his life as faithful and as evangelical as he would have been had he been an apostle. Because you don't have to have notoriety to be a servant in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. 
You don't have to be someone that everyone sees and knows. You don't have to stand on a stage for people to identify and to recognize. Just serve. Just go do the work, because even if none of us know who you are, even if you're just the other person and someone else is hogging the spotlight, the Lord sees you. The Lord knows you. Barsabbas was good enough to almost be an apostle. Hey, I can strive for that. That's a goal for me. Now, what about you this morning? What is your spiritual condition like? Where are you in your relationship with God? Are you someone who's just starting out as a Christian and nobody knows who you are? Serve. Are you someone who's been a Christian for a long time but just kind of in name only and never done anything and it's, you think it's too late? No, start serving. Are you someone who's never become a Christian, no matter how old you are? Start today. Be added. You're not being added to an apostleship group, but you can be added to the kingdom of Jesus Christ and submit to the authority of those apostles who told you what to do to become a Christian. Believe Jesus Christ. Repent to Jesus Christ. Confess your faith in Jesus Christ. Live faithfully for Jesus Christ. Be baptized into Jesus Christ so that when Jesus Christ comes back, you can live with Jesus Christ forever and ever. And if you are a Christian but you've not been faithful, don't, don't be like Judas. Don't walk away from what you have. Don't reject what you have. Don't go to the place where you deserve. Go to the place where you don't deserve. Take advantage of the salvation none of us deserve. Take advantage of his death that should have been yours and mine, that he died so you wouldn't have to. Become a Christian today, this morning. If we can help you, let us know how. Right now, please come as we stand and sing.